0: Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series, special edition, Pathways, Faith, Living Out the Word. If you enjoy our programming and would like to see more of it, consider a donation at www.framparkcenter.org. Welcome, Dr. Mike Hegeman. Thank you. This is our foundational course focusing on the four pillars of Bible, faith, faith dialogue and world. In this course, we are explaining how the Word of God inspires faith, what faith is, and how we live out the faith that God creates in us. I remember it like it was yesterday. Thirty years ago, as I was preparing to go off to seminary, an older woman from my church approached me and said, I hear you're going off to seminary. Don't lose your salvation. I'm not sure how I responded then. I may have just stared at her. Maybe I said, well, that's not going to happen, half jokingly. Or maybe I said, okay, I'll try not to. Whatever I said wasn't uh, satisfying for her, I'm sure. And she just walked away, having given her most sincere and direst warning. I've had 30 years to think about this woman's comment, and what I surmise is that she thought that too much book learning could cause one to question the content of one's faith. And doing that, one might ultimately endanger one's own salvation. I believe she equated salvation with the content of one's faith, one's list of I believe statements. She's not the only one to do so. Throughout Scripture, we see a close link between faith and salvation. We hear this quite clearly and directly in certain places. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and have faith in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The trouble is that we can never be totally sure that our faith is sincere enough to warrant or guarantee salvation. Maybe we have just too narrow an understanding of what salvation is and and how it's connected to faith. We have explored before the story of the woman with the 12 years of hemorrhaging. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. The tricky part about this passage is the word for saved, used here. It could also be translated as healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And this would make perfect sense, for she was seeking healing in that moment, and her healing was her salvation. The word used in the New Testament for salvation can easily be translated as healing, and the verb to save could be rendered to heal. And there are lots of other options, too. Health and wholeness, or deliverance, or rescue, or freedom, or even liberation. When we hear the word salvation... We may think solely of one's soul's designation once this earthly life is over. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and have faith in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will experience salvation. From the book of Romans. But we need to remember that we can also translate this as you will be delivered from captivity, rescued from danger, freed from insecurity, liberated from oppression, and made whole from whatever has broken you. We need all of these senses brought together to understand what salvation is. The salvation that is accessed through faith, whatever it ultimately is, is a gracious gift of God. The God of the cosmos, of all creation, who made all things, is making whole, restoring, reconciling all those things, including us. We gain a greater understanding of salvation through faith when we consider the greater work that God is doing. Faith is not just a part of a salvation checklist one must do. Let's see, I've got faith. I clearly believe the right things, so I'm good to go. I am just going to sit back and wait to get into heaven. Scripture makes it clear that faith, trust, belief are gifts from God. And that salvation, deliverance, rescue, freedom, security, liberation, and healing of our whole being are all component parts of what God, the God who is faithful, is doing most keenly through Jesus Christ, his his birth through his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Faith is given flesh and dimension through grace. And this faith sets us on a path where we live restored lives in loving response to what God is doing. Neither faith nor salvation are mechanisms for achieving an end. Faith isn't transactional. None of us has to be on a journey to seminary to be told along the way at some point by some well-intentioned sister or brother, don't lose your salvation. We are all in the school of life and life is full of challenges, challenges especially of our faith. Some of these challenges can make us lose trust in what God is doing and who God is. But salvation and faith are bigger, bigger than any of us individually. Faith, with capital letters, and salvation, with capital letters, are linked. But ultimately, faith is God's gift to us. Our response is not necessary just to receive that gift, but to live through it, to live lives that God is even now restoring to wholeness. Here's another story of a chance encounter that left me with questions about the connection between faith and salvation. About 20 years ago, I I met a highly cultured and educated man who, when he found out that I was a doctoral student at a seminary, said to me, Well, I get it that you're into theology, but I've given all that up. I used to attend chapel when I was a, you know, a young student myself, but I walked away from any belief in God a long time ago. Our conversation carried on for about an hour after that and just as we were about to part ways, he said to me, a bit hesitantly, "Hey, say, listen, um if you have the opportunity, say a prayer for me just in case because I'm not really sure what will happen to me when I get to those pearly gates." I I just don't think that my good deeds will outweigh my bad. And after a pause, I said, Oh, absolutely, I'd be happy to pray for you. And we parted company. But his request has stuck with me for these twenty years. His final words to me spoke to the kind of desperation that haunts many people. As cultured and educated as he was, something nagged at him. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Another quick story. When I first got to college, I made friends with someone from a Christian believer's baptism tradition. He said that he had been baptized three times as a teenager because he was never really sure if he had been sincere enough each time he was baptized if he genuinely accepted Jesus enough into his heart and confessed so with his lips to ensure his salvation. So he kept getting baptized as a fail-safe measure, maybe one of these times when he'd professed Jesus as Lord with enough validity that God would truly accept him. These two people, though they may seem miles apart in their attitudes towards faith, actually shared something in common, believing that getting right with God is dependent solely and completely on them, on us, uh, one through his deeds and the other one through his faith. Now let's take a step back about 500 years. Martin Luther, the 16th century theologian, wrestled with all of this as well. Luther believed God to be righteous and that God didn't tolerate human sin going unpunished. And also, Luther grappled with his own worthiness before God, trying to earn righteousness on his own. Until, that is, that Luther stumbled across the good news in Scripture that we could never do anything To make ourselves right in God's sight. The problem is so much bigger than any one individual's efforts to overcome. Luther landed on the scriptural claim that we are saved by grace through faith. Salvation is not a triumph to be won by our attempts to be good. Rather, it is a gift to be accepted by faith. Now we've added another key word to the circle of faith and salvation, righteousness. We've heard it before, back when we talked about Abraham. That key verse was, Abraham had faith in the Lord, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul loved this verse because it allowed him to talk about the impact of faith the impact of trust and belief. Paul quoted from the prophet Joel and says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's another way of saying, whoever trusts in God will be delivered, rescued, freed, liberated, secured, and made whole. In some sense, Paul shows us the equation between faith with salvation and righteousness for the one who has faith with the heart is made righteous and the one who confesses with the mouth is saved there is a story of Jesus that fits the moment it's called the parable of the prodigal son the key moment in the story of the boy who dishonored his family by asking for his inheritance before his father had passed away, and then having squandered all his funds, starving, he returns to the father, fully planning to confess with his mouth all the ways he'd wronged his father. But key to this story, maybe you've never noticed, The father doesn't even listen to the son's earnest attempts to get right with the father. The father is already planning a lavish party to celebrate the prodigal's return. The parable should really be called the lavish love of the father because the father's forgiving love sets the son right. Regardless of the son's actions or seeming sincerity, God sets things right. This is the foundation of righteousness and the connection to both salvation and faith. We are keeping the conversation going, and to help us do that, we have uh, Mr. Bernard England here, associate friend of the uh, Park Center. And Bernard, we welcome you to this conversation, and you've been listening in on all of this talk about faith and what what strikes you most about when we draw this close connection between love and faith? What what strikes you most about that close connection?
1: You know, Mike, it, it it's interesting. I, I think for the on the love portion that that speaks to you know, action that that takes place on the on the second hand. I think for me, part one would be having faith, and I think part two would would be developing into a love of that faith in, in terms of partners in, in Christian life. Um, you know, having faith to me seems more of a, a personal endeavor, something that I need to personally work on and to move forward in my progression. And I think the end of that, the end of that timeline breeds a sense of love in God, a breeds a sense of love for, for oneself. Um, to me, it's, it's a part A and a, and a part a one, if you will, right? You, you work on faith, and at a certain point, will you find an appreciation, and that appreciation, you know, reveals this sense of love, not only for for oneself, but for the partners that you have in Christian life.
0: Right, and that's the sense of how, you know, the early church struggled so much because y- you would think that love wouldn't be a completely foreign concept to to the people. You know, to the first Christians, you know, it's again like when Paul the Apostle was writing to uh, some of his congregations, he it's not that they don't know the word love, you know, the Greeks, you know, he writes in Greek, you know, he writes every they must be Greek speaking on some level, some way. He uses about three or four different words for love, but he keeps coming back to this main and central word, uh, agape, right? And that's this word, love. He writes in a whole chapter, you know, in his letter to the Corinthians just about love. And we often, we read that chapter at weddings. And it's funny because that chapter has nothing to do with weddings, you know, and, uh, because it's, it's about a kind, it's almost, it's about a fierce, fierce love, you know, that redefines community. And so it's not like love wasn't known before the, the word of Jesus Christ comes to them, uh, to these Greek speaking folks, but it's love is certainly giving a whole, given a whole new context. And so when Paul, he, that That's this classic statement when he comes to them, and he says, You guys are fighting, you're right. fighting over stuff that doesn't you're backstabbing he says you actually the word he uses is you're biting one another. He says, if you keep biting each other, be careful that you don't eat just end up eating each other completely up you know and he and then he says, You know what you're so concerned about so many things, doctrine and uh all of this practices at the heart of it. He says, the only thing that matters is faith. Energized by love and, uh, the word could be also faith working through love, but, uh, it's, it's a sense of, uh, faith, real faith, you know, sense of faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in something, you know, the what of faith. It, he says it makes no difference unless that faith is not grounded in love or it's the, the lifeblood of your faith is, is love and he has to say that enough throughout these letters and i mean and jesus certainly talked about love quite a bit and so i i i'm just always sometimes startled when i if i meet somebody who's and it could be me myself i have to look in the mirror right. if ever i'm i am working through a faith and our some perspective and i'm not centered in love then you know what does he say he says you're just a noisy gong you know if i'm talking about faith and i don't have love at the center of what i'm doing he says you're just clashing symbols and noisy gongs Uh, it's kind of a a striking image he felt so strongly about this but have you ever i mean i'll just just make it personal have you ever known a time in your own life where you know you you kind of were out there outward with your faith but you could recognize that love wasn't at the center of it
1: yes i mean you you me personally, I grew up that way. It just—it was a thing we did, and we said the words so frivolously that we didn't know what it meant. And you know, as a child, you act as a child, and even as an adult, you still act as a child, right? You don't know what to, what to how to change thoughts, how to change processes, and without the action of of doing faith, without the action of trying to pursue faith, you don't know how to pursue love thereafter. You don't know how to accept love as a certain identity. You only know what do you think you know. And you only think that you have to control everything. You only think that oh if I if I let go then then that means I, I must be giving up in some regard. And that's that's not the truth. And that's you know that I think it speaks volumes to one's selfishness. I think it speaks volumes to one's, you know, own demise that if you don't allow yourself to dive into faith, if you don't allow yourself to seek help or seek, you know I don't know spirituality in some essence. Then you're not allowing yourself to fully understand and be enveloped in love. Um, so it, it, it's it's challenging because it does force you to reflect. It does force you to look in the mirror and say, well, what do you believe? What do you honestly believe? And with no one around you, there's no one in the in the bathroom. There's no one you know looking in the in the FaceTime camera. It's just you and you questioning your own beliefs. It's you and you questioning. Well, if you believe this, then why don't you have a deeper sense of love? Why can you not walk out the door each day and just be one with yourself? And part of that, in my opinion, is do you believe in your own faith? Do you believe that you have faith? Do you believe in faith in and of itself? So it's a gripping it's a question. It's one that I, I don't think about every day, but... And to a certain extent, you do have to come back to it from time to time. So it isn't, it's deep. It's right. Deep. And, uh, deep. I, you know, that, that
0: interconnection between love and faith. And so sometimes I've experienced um, Christian people who they focus on so much on the what of faith, mm-hmm. meaning like what they would actually ask me, look me in the eye and say, tell me what you believe. Yeah. And as if to assess whether I was worthy enough to, you know, to be in their company or to be considered. A person of faith or a Christian. And I I I wish I'd had the courage, you know, when I was 20 years old, you know, to to look at somebody and and when they said, what do you believe? I wish I had enough courage to say to them, why don't you follow me around for about a month? Right. And then you tell me what I believe. Right. Because, and it's, that may be a little too simple just to say that everything I believe I'm going to put into action. But I would hope that would be no less than that. I hope somebody could look at my life and say, you know what, I know what you believe because I've been watching you for, you know, for a certain amount of time. And that's not to say that faith is works. You know, that's not it's like, you know that but I'm to say that faith faith is can only truly grow and truly be known uh when when I'm engaged in acts of compassion. It's that sense of uh, I could have a whole list of beliefs. I could stand up and recite the creed, as I would say. Uh, and, you know, if Paul, and if Paul the apostle, again, we've talked him about it before, he could write that chapter 13 of Corinthians and say, you could recite the creed, but if you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong. And, um, you know, I think I'd go along with that. And so that's a challenge for me, though, too. I didn't want to, I don't want to be so high and mighty and say, well, you have, you have your creeds and you have your belief statements and I have love. Um, because that isn't, I don't think that's sufficient either. And I think that there's a balancing point in between what I claim, what I hold dear, what I think of as core beliefs. Right. And two, I want to hold those together with, unless, unless I act on those or hold them with love, express them with love, then they are truly, you know, I'm just a noisy gong.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, it's, in some aspects nonsense to me right it doesn't it doesn't make sense that only one part like if i were to ask you right now what what must i believe to have faith and you know to ask you to give me 10 things just list 10 things off whatever 10 things you want to list there's no rhyme or reason to them from from my perspective but for you your experiences have shaped your perspective so your perspective on faith your perspective on love are wildly different than mine and that in and of itself is a different type of love. You need to accept a certain level of arrogance. So my family's from from Harlem, New York, and there's always a saying. We, there's a level of arrogance that resonates over Harlem that's just infectious, right? And growing up, always thought the term arrogant was a, had a negative connotation to it. And only within my circle, my family circle, did I always believe, you know, there's something to arrogance that isn't negative. There's such a strong beauty with the word arrogant because you don't you don't listen to the, to the outside you only listen to your own faith and your own beliefs and your own love and through that it can be it can be negative but if if you're walking in faith if you're walking down a path of righteousness having the blinders to only see a tunnel of love is such a beauty that you know only those of faith can actually experience so to to the effect of believing what what certain people say in terms of what is faith to you or what what must you believe in faith you you almost have to to block out the noise right you almost have to block out the gong effect and just follow through with with your faith follow through in that progression of your faith and through that progression find love for yourself
0: yeah, you know, one biblical term that comes to me when you say that is like the mantle of righteousness mm-hmm. in a sense of I, I you know, these are, the, the Bible uses some of these, you know, very, uh, they're both poetic and very, you know, strongly visual images like the mantle of righteousness. It's a sense of this was meant to sense of, of protection around us. And I, I never thought about arrogance as something that is like goes along with that, the, the sense of, I'm maybe I would use the word pride, a healthy pride, right? right? right. The healthy pride that says I'm focused and I'm not going to let the world detract from my confidence, my right. faith in God. And so that's a that's an important thing, you know, to say that. uh And there is strong biblical imagery of that. We are surrounded by, you know, or upheld by or, you know, just the sense of trusting that uh, where we are right now in faith is enough. Right? Right. That's the sense of this is enough for today. And if I am to grow in faith or to become more confident in my faith, all those things, that's for, that's, I'll, I'll pick up that mantle tomorrow, you know, and kind of grow into the, continue to grow into that fullness of what it means to be a loving and faithful person. And that, you know, that say, uh The list of things we can believe are beautiful. And I think if anybody ever asked me this is, well, what's the core of your faith? And I have a great example, you know, to easily go to, you know, uh, I believe, you know, love God and love your neighbor right. as yourself. And the fact that Jesus taught this, you know, I mean, Jesus, I mean, the fact that too, it's like, you know, you could think any wise person anywhere in the world could teach that and and many traditions hold something like that, the golden rule as it plays out in many cultures. But the fact that I don't know and may not be fully able to love as I'm called to love, to love God and love my neighbor. And so something blocks my way, something slows me down, something and disables me from doing that. And so that's why I say, my creed becomes a little more specific than love God and love your neighbor mm-hmm. because I, I see this is cap- I'm capable of this, uh, because Jesus, because Jesus, you know, I have to say, because Jesus showed us, because Jesus taught us, because Jesus lived it in such that he was willing to die that i might know god's love and that's the sense of and, moment and know it more deeply so uh, here then that's all of a sudden i'm starting to shape a creed right, right. you know right. i mean i can i can i can go from this very general and generic statement to why is that oh this is about jesus right. and so i think each of us does that we we sense of forming a trusting relationship over time even when uh, that trust is forged sometimes in great sense of absence of God, right? God, you know, we, we, we run, we, oh, as the psalmist says, my soul longs for the living God as a deer pants for water. And so there's that sense of the longing, uh, unsatisfied longing for something greater, uh, than myself is the pursuit of faith. It's something I think we're hardwired for longing for God. And other people find that longing; they fulfill that longing in so many ways. But uh, for me, what I found is saying that tr- building a trusting relationship with God, uh with that mantle—you know—I'm starting to sound, to me, I start to sound really pious here, with the mantle of righteousness around me. But now, if I could see myself walking down the street with a with a healthy pride, means I'm focused and not letting the world detract me, but also, but letting the world call me. Uh, to where, where God's Spirit is sending me to, to enact love that my faith might grow.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry, I just did a sermon for you no, right, no, there, good. right there, right there. No.
1: It envelops you with where we should go, where, how we should build our own creeds, how, what should we, right. what's creedal statement should we make for ourselves? So, no, I, thank you for that.
0: Right. And if you, uh, what would be, what would be at the top of your creedal list, do you think? <sighs>
1: You know, so much I, I, effort is, is a term that is, is like resounds overwhelmingly every day of my life. But I think it's just how it was raised. I think effort yields prosperity. And I think wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing, giving people the best of me, giving people all that I have to give, giving myself all that I have to give always has done done right for me. Um, so I think for me that speaks so much of Jesus's worth, right? God's worth and giving all of yourself as much as you can, as as often as you can. Never give less because you don't know when it is the last time you can give, right? So having that ideology at the core for me often lets me have a certain level of faith. No matter what the day is, is going to, right? No matter what is coming up, as long as I know that, at the end of the day, I'm able to give more effort than I was able to give the day before, more effort than the person next to me, more effort than even I believe that I could give that day. It it always it always comes back full circle for me. So I, I think that's at the core because everyone's prosperous thereafter. If we all give the most effort within love, give the most effort within moving and progress in our faith. We we can't lose in a sense, right? If if with, for lack of a better word, if losses are a thing in in scripture, I I think the element of building a creed or a creedal statement in terms of what what do you live by, for me it, it's always been do the, do the work necessary so that on the backside of this you can have peace, you can have relaxation, and and with that you build this confidence that. You can find love you can relax in love you don't have to work so hard on the backside because every day you already live with a certain level of effort so that that would be my creedal statement right. if ever yeah
0: wasn't. I appreciate that you know you told me a story recently um, that makes me think about about you and your basic sense of trust in life and that's you you took a trip kind of through up up from Arizona. Driving all the way through the Pacific Northwest right, and pursuing right. a dream or two and, and just getting out there and moving around in a world which is, you know, is a, it's a difficult world at right. the moment. It's, it's always been a difficult world, but natural disasters, fires, uh, people at odds with each other. And, and yet you, you stepped out, you had a dream, a vision. And what sustained you in the, you know, the, this, you know, this was earlier this summer, but what sustained you in those, that day-to-day of kind of fulfilling this, this dream of this, this trip around the, 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 the West here?
1: Effort and blinders, put in, put in enough work and then don't worry about what everyone else was doing. That, that honestly was my day-to-day, you know, message to myself. Every day I woke up, it became, well, I'm, I'm going to do my level of effort. I'm going to do what's what I'm capable of. And, you know, in, in the world of creativity in the world that we live in, it's so easy to look from side to side and see, well, well, they're doing this. Well, the, well, they're able to, you know, and then you get a level of engagement that you see. Well, they they look like they're loved on a certain level by doing less or they look like they're loved on a certain level by by doing just as much. It It's in, it's attractive. It's infectious, but it, it's also crippling. And I think for me in that that. This past summer where I was able to make trips and and go forth and try and pursue certain dreams, the only thing that mattered every day was when I get home that night, whether it was a campsite or a random Airbnb or the car for that matter, every night I just said, did I do everything that needed to be done as I was capable of doing? Did I give all the effort that I was able to give? Because if not, then I left things on the table. If there's a gift that's given to you, if there was a gift that was given to me, I wanted to make sure I used all of all of that gift that there was to give that day right if If God gave me ten bucks every given day, I'm using all ten, and if I can find ten dollars and ten cents, I'll use that as well. So just the the level of effort because I knew at the end of every day. If I did that, if I walked in the word, if I just had the faith that even if I'm tired, I've got more to give, I was always going to be granted with prosperity on the back end. So that that honestly was what kept me going on tired days, on on a hungry stomach, you know, tired eyes, but having the faith to say I can give a little more and having the confidence that I, I have given more because I just did it yesterday and then yesterday turned into today. Today turned into tomorrow. So each day built on itself and effort built on itself. So for me, it was, it's, it's all biblical. It, it all became, well, you just proved it to yourself. So prove it again.
0: Right. I appreciate, you know, here listening to you is that you actually helped to redefine the sense of what prosperity is, the right. sense of that you're prospering in life, you know, that you have an abu- a fullness of life and, uh, and that you know, we started with that quote from the book of Galatians, Paul, where he says, "The only thing that matters is faith energized by love." But uh, listening to you now, I could I could retranslate that and saying, the, "You know, the only the only effort in faith is love." Right. I, or the only effort, you know, the only effort in our trusting is is love. You know, the sense of that, you know, trusting faith whose effort is love is what prospers. Now now, now I'm now making up new scriptures. But a sense of <laughs> but a sense of a that statement. Right, right, right. Saying faith who with the effort of which is love, uh will prosper. And that's it really is pretty close to what Paul was saying throughout. And so I appreciate you helping us can keep the conversation going here about faith and uh and and helping those who are listening just to say is to continue their thinking so that it might inspire them to act all of us to act with a loving faith and faithful love. Amen.